Sports are such a big part of all of our lives, from the big plays to the unforgettable games. They continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors and heroes of our time, when the game is finally over and the sport they love and worked their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode. I have a very special guest today. He's one of my best friends, really. Um, Played with him in Atlanta from 2010 to 2012, I believe. He was uh, a third-string quarterback, so he's got a unique journey into the NFL. He was a big-time college quarterback at the University of Alabama. Before they went on this, you know, 13-year dynasty run with Nick Saban, he was actually there with Nick Saban's two first years and his senior year, they went 12 and 0 and it was really the start. I think they lost in the SEC championship game, but it was the start of that dynasty run. And he really laid the foundation for it. Um, he's an amazing guy. He's got a lot of tools we talk about in this podcast. Um, he had a hard stop. So the podcast is a little bit shorter than I hoped. Uh, if you really like it, let me know. And I'd love to have him back on to talk some more ball and some more tips and tricks. He's a very successful man now. I think he retired in 2015. I think he played five years, uh, Falcons, Jacksonville, and then finished with the Steelers. He is now in uh, financial wealth management. And, you know, he shares a lot about his journey. He was always prepared um, for life after the game. And, you know, he shares a lot of tips on how to find success and find purpose outside the game. And it was really an honor to have him on. He's a, He's also the color commentator for Alabama football for, I think, the radio, which is really cool. And I know that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. John Parker Wilson, what's up, brother? Thanks for coming on the show. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is pretty sweet. Yeah, this is really, really special. I'm really glad you came on. Uh, For those of you that don't know me and John Parker, actually really close. We played together in Atlanta for three or four years and became really close and we're really close to this day. And um, yeah, you're kind of a big deal in Alabama. I know you had uh, played at University of Alabama and those fans there are pretty wild. I've been to Tuscaloosa a few times and I've been kind of involved with a lot of, I'm in in kind of your friend circle now. I guess they're kind of my friends as well. We've been knowing each other for over a decade now, but yeah, let's just dive into a little bit about your journey through football, um, you know, college career, pro career, and then we'll dive into the transition. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we've been, let's see, when was your first year of the NFL? It would have been 2010. Yeah, you were 2009, right? So we're over a decade now. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. buddy. Wild, I'm, huh? I remember eating, like it was yesterday, eating cheeseburgers at Ted's Montana Grill. Oh, those so burgers good. are incredible. Those, okay. those nachos, those bison nachos. Oh man. Game changer. So good. Yeah. So man, so go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your journey through uh through football. 
And, yeah. um, and then we'll dive into the transition and kind of share some of the, some of the, the advice you might have for other guys. Yeah, I love it. So um, from, from Alabama, um, I grew up in Birmingham, went to um, a big-time football high school uh, called Hoover High School. It wasn't that big. Um, it's, it's now morphed into uh, one of these schools you'll see on ESPN and play all the time. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough to, to start my football career there. Um, I actually came in as a sophomore when I, I wasn't the starter. We had a, we had a guy in front of me that was a senior that was a starter and he got hurt in the playoffs, like the second round, I think. So I had to come in as the backup sophomore. Um, I think I weighed 150 pounds. I was probably 5'10". And, um, we're playing 6A big time football at Hoover. I mean, we're playing, um, our, my first game was against Jess Lanier and D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans played at Alabama. He played in the NFL at linebacker, um, I think 10 plus years, still coaching in the NFL. But my first game was against him. And, uh, I think, I know he had a, a late hit on me early in the game just to send a message of, Hey, this is big time football. Yeah, Hoover High, man. Hoover High is a big deal. Didn't they do a, some kind of reality show of Hoover High? Yeah, so the reality show was, thank goodness, it was after I left. MTV came in, um, and it was actually my brother, my brother Ross, who's three years younger than me. So his junior and senior year, they came in and did a full-on MTV reality show where they it was called Two Days, and they basically walked around with him and the other players for two seasons. Um, How did that affect him in high school being on a reality show? He didn't like it. He didn't like it yeah. because, you know, every move you can make is going to be on TV or potentially be on TV. And not to mention that, you know, you're an 18-year-old kid and you've got these producers that are that have a storyline they want to get to that are trying to steer you in certain directions. Yeah, I know we both had different opportunities being on, on screen and, and those reality shows, they can kind of manipulate the storyline however they want. And when you're that age, you don't really have kind of a confidence in saying no or like what you want out of the experience and they can kind of really control it, huh? No doubt. It's exactly right. Because and when you're when you're that young, you don't know what's right and what's wrong or or, or what path you want to go down. So um he 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 made through it. He you know he wasn't. They tried to make him a star, but he he kind of really wanted to be in the background more and just go play ball and have fun. Um, but there was definitely some characters on there that that MTV loved, and I think all in all, it was a good experience. Um, you know, he his first job, he was calling on the West Coast, and he was he was selling something, and and they'd call and they'd quickly be like, "You were that Hoover? You were that guy from Two Days?" So. It was a big time show. It had yeah. its, it had. That's its, a pretty big time show. It, yeah, it was kind of the. Well, it was one of the last. You know, MTV has gone down in viewership since then, but it was you know a lot of viewers at the time. Yeah, I think content has changed in a pretty big way. Well, let's get back into your story. You're uh, you go to University of Alabama, big time quarterback star of a big time school. I think this is before they went on this kind of uh, decade long dynasty run. Uh, you were kind of beforehand, you kind of set the foundation for that, huh? Right, right. So I came in, I was recruited by Mike Shula, who was the head coach. I was with him for three years. Um, and we were, we came, I came to, I came to Alabama at a tough time. We were on probation. We had limited scholarships. Uh, there was a lot of things working against us. So 
growing up in Birmingham and Alabama, a lifelong Alabama fan. My mother was actually a cheerleader for the football team when she was at school there. I didn't know um, that. Wow. Yeah. So for me, it was like, as soon as they offered me the scholarship, it was not, oh, let's wait till National Signing Day. It's like, can I sign right now today? So you guys don't change your mind. Um, <laughs> but, we, but I went at a time, it was tough because we were on probation, like I said. Um, with Chula, I started as a sophomore. We were six and six. Um, we were okay. I mean, we were average. And then Saban came in my junior year. And that's when things really started to change around. We were six and six my junior year. And then my senior year was that first year we really took the next step and went 12 and 0. Uh, we lost in the SEC championship. But like you said, we kind of um, set the tone for what now is, is, is 13 years in the making for him of just straight up dominance, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So then you end up going, graduating from the University of Alabama, getting an opportunity to play pro ball. Talk a little bit about that journey. I know you weren't drafted, right? Right, right. So talk about that journey as an undrafted quarterback, because usually you hear about these top echelon guys that go in the first round. And then as a quarterback, I mean, there's only one quarterback per team. There's a couple backup spots, but it's really a small, slim opportunity for that position unless you're like, you know, a top 10 pick usually, right? Right, right. So this is kind of where um, my journey really starts because when I grew, when I graduated Alabama, you know, I didn't know that I was going to get drafted. I was hoping that I was going to be able to play and I went and trained and everything like that. But along the way, I met a, a local businessman that um, I, I began talking to after my season. And saying, "Hey, you know, he was in he was in the wealth management business, which which I'm currently in." I was like, "Hey, I kind of want to see what you're doing, learn from you, and while I'm playing, we'll keep our relationship going and kind of do some internships along the way to learn more about your business and your industry. But if I get the chance to go play, I'm obviously going to go play. But if I don't, I've I've kind of got something already in the works, right? Oh, wow. a long so you were delay. preparing for that right away." Correct. Because there was a long layoff between, you know, our last game of January to the draft and then all the way till September when they make the cuts. So if you go that long without doing anything, or I thought if I go all the way till September with just focusing on football, well, here I am 23 years old with no job and no really um, place to go after football. So I was, and, and luckily for me, it was a wealth management firm. So if I did happen to make it and had any money at all, I'd have somebody that I trusted to help me with whatever decisions I need to make. Um, they did send me a big box. You've, to, to be in my business, you have to pass what's called a Series 7 test. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of studying. And they sent me the box. And I was like, we'll, we'll wait till after football to study <laughs> for this. But I did. I started um, being involved and interested in the business. But then, like you said, I was undrafted and went into camp and earned a spot. Um, and to me, playing in Atlanta for three years as an undrafted guy was obviously um, a big deal because I didn't expect to play. I didn't. I didn't. I had low expectations going in, which I think really helped at the end of the day. Yeah. So talk about that journey going. And I mean, that's really cool that you prepared and you were kind of ready for that. And so it was kind of almost like all gravy when you actually got a chance to play. But talk about because you were the third string quarterback the most of your career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the rules changed a little bit about the roster. That when you were playing earlier in your career, the way it worked was you could dress a third quarterback on game day, and it wouldn't co count against the roster spots. It was almost like this extra roster, and they changed that to add that to you could dress any kind of player you want. 
And so that was actually a great opportunity for every team basically had a third string quarterback. Now they, a lot of them hold just two quarterbacks, maybe one on the practice squad, but talk about the journey of a third, third string quarterback in the NFL during that time. Yeah. It was a great rule for third string quarterbacks because you were basically a bonus spot for the team um, that didn't count. You're on the active roster. So you got full pay bonus spot because 45 guys can dress on game day. I was a part of the 53 man squad, but on game day, I didn't count, um, which was awesome for, for young quarterbacks because you could, you know, theoretically develop into becoming a starter or whatever one day. Um, no, obviously not good when they changed the rule to only two. And that's, you know, kind of when I started bouncing around. So I was with the Falcons. Matt Ryan was a starter. Chris Redman was the backup. And, you know, I was just really, you know, I, I went from every day is great to um, just being on the team and making a shit ton of money when you're young um, to, man, you know, I really want to be starting. I really want to be, or not starting. I really want to be more involved and, and work the way up. So to me, that was a big deal of, um, you know, having expectations of wanting to be better because my whole life I've been the starter quarterback, right? Um, mm. So having those higher expectations, but realizing um, they're probably right now as it stands, not going to happen. And just having to figure out how to go to work every day with things that are in my mind, but obviously it, how it works with just the business of football is different. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because I, I mean, I, I came in, I obviously was one of the best players, if not the best player on every team I played up to that point. I got drafted in the fourth round. And my first year, I was a backup. And that was so hard on me. Like all of a sudden going from being the best player in high school, the best player at UNLV, which is a smaller school, to all of a sudden getting drafted and just feeling like, oh man, do I even belong here? Like, I, And I wanted to see the field so bad. The competitor in me was like, I want to contribute. I felt like I wasn't even on the team unless I was actually playing. Talk yep. about that as a competitor, knowing, especially a quarterback. I mean, you got Matt Ryan starting. So, you know, it's not like this. You have this idea in your head. You're like, no, I'm not going to be this, this all-star quarterback in the NFL. You have to kind of manage your own expectations and play your role. But talk about how you had to adjust your mindset to show up each day, knowing that maybe that's not where you're going to – maybe you're never going to see the field. Did you ever actually play in a regular season game? No, no. Yeah, so how you, how'd you manage those expectations and, and continue to show up each day? It's tough. It was tough because um, you want to be out there and you want to be the you want to be playing because that football, I mean, is is unique because if, unless you're out on the field, you feel like you're not contributing. And I think that's kind of what we all want is to be contributors and be a part of something. Um, but I, you know, I think that was was probably something that I, I didn't do as well as I, I should have was you know be a be all in no matter what kind of burn the ships. And I think the players that do burn the ships that, and when I say burn the ships, like, you know, I think it was the Vikings when they would storm, um, um, you know, a different city or a different town that they wanted to take over. They would, they would burn the ships when they got off at like, hey, there's no turning back. We're either going to die storming this beach or we're going to take them over and, and, you know. That seems kind of silly, the, doesn't it? But I yeah. guess it's a mindset thing. <laughs> like, I think it is. Yeah, totally. I mean, it makes sense, but it's like all that work. I mean, back then, how long did it take to make like a wooden ship, right? <laughs> I don't know if they, just... te- if they really did it, but I've heard a lot of stories. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I, mean, I bet they yeah. did. It, it sounds crazy like the Vikings to do that, but, um, but I think it is the mindset of there's no turning back from here. I'm going to be all in, focused on this 100%. Um, and I probably didn't do a good enough job of that when I was playing. You know, yeah. like, oh, and, and I... 
and it's still a lot of things that I do today. I get from Coach Saban because I think I think he's really um, I think he's I think he's super smart. He he reads a lot. He he gets a lot of influence from other people. But you know he calls it the poor me. He's like, oh poor me. I've got this wrong or this isn't working for me. He always used to say you can't have the poor me's because that it really gets in the way of everything. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of people have that kind of victim mindset, right? They externalize their experience and blame the things outside themselves for their circumstances in life rather than taking control, taking life by the balls, as it were, yeah. and burning the ships and going for it. So talk about um, talk about the lessons that you did learn. Like, What are some of the some of the things that Nick Saban taught you that you kind of bring into your everyday life? Um, so much from him, so much from the NFL too. I think the biggest thing that I learned from Coach Saban was um, just to have, to have a process, to have something you can look forward to every day that you know is going to happen. And it might not be the same every day, but it's going to look the same every day. It's going to be the same every week where you can, no matter what's happening, You've got a system in place where you can fall back on and rely on um, being normal and, and having a normalized day or whatever it is that's going to get you to your goal no matter what. Because there's going to be up days where you're sky high and you can't, you can't waver off your path when you're sky high. And the same when you're down in the dumps. Like you just got to revert back to doing the same thing that you've always done um, or you always want to do or setting out to do to get you where you want to go. And I, and I think... Throughout his career and watching him, he's, he's basically the same that he was when he was winning championships at LSU, when he went to the Dolphins, that didn't, didn't work out as well as, you know, the, as college game. And then coming to Alabama, I've seen him now for 13 years, really up close and personal, where he has the same thing in place, but he's not scared to make changes. He's not scared to make little tweaks along the way and saying, um, I think I can get better by doing this. Yeah, you got to be able that, to evolve, right? Exactly. Because, you know, one of the bad, you know, one of the things that kills everybody is, well, we've always done it this way, or it's always worked for me doing this, or, I mean, especially him, he's won six national championships. I've always done it this way. And to me, the way he's able to sustain his success is, is being cutting edge on, on trying new things. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a huge problem with me in the NFL. I, I feel like a lot of coaches, I'd noticed that they would they would just do it the way it's always been done. And I even remember at one point, because it's a lot of hurry up and wait in the NFL. And what, what I mean by that is there's like a lot of dead time. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're in a hurry to get somewhere and get on time and be this thing. And all of a sudden you're sitting in the locker room doing nothing. And it just, I, I remember asking like, why are we doing it this way? I mean, I feel like we could find some more rest time here or we could evolve a little bit here. And I remember asking some of like the lower level coaches, obviously I'm not going to go to the head coach or GM and be like, hey, why are we doing it this way? It's but, dumb. They would just, they would be like, you know, I don't know. It's just the way it's always been done. And that fascinated me. It's like, how can we not adjust? I mean, we're constantly, especially, you know, just as a human race, we're constantly evolving. We're constantly learning. I mean, the last 10 years, we've grown in this exponential curve of like technology, research, how the body, it heals better, higher performance, human optimization, like all this stuff. And so if you're not taking that on, then you're going to fall behind pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, we're just relating it to football. It's kind of like the triple option, right? The triple option worked for a long time for a lot of different teams and a lot of different people. But defense has changed and there's some teams that didn't change with it and they still run the triple option and they're terrible. Um, oh, knock the triple option stone. We killed that in high school. But it, then again, it was, it was high school. 
I get it. I get it. There's some high schools around here that run it, but then you look at like Georgia tech, you know, I know Navy still runs it, but yeah, to me, those, you know, it's yeah. a different mindset, but you get when the, when the level of talent is, is raised considerably, you've got to be really good at it. And if you're not, I mean, even if you're not dynamic in that system, like there's ways to be dynamic, even in the triple option and to adjust. And, and if you're just running the same old things, then there's so much film study out there nowadays that it's pretty easy to figure out weaknesses. And that's why you kind of constantly got to be studying not only your opponent, but yourself, which yeah. is, you know, you can apply to your life as well. Like continuing to study on how you can become better and looking at your own life and seeing where you're not as efficient. But kind of going off that, one of the things I struggle with and I've got to keep a constant check on is not, um, not tinkering too much. Mm. Right. Not like, um, I, I know, you know, having your process, but then I, I think tinkering and try to tweak too much works in the opposite direction where you're going to, you know, if you're like a golfer, for example, you get your golf swing and then you go out there and you, you've got your swing, but it, today's not working. So you change it a little bit. And then the next hole, you try to change it a different way and it, it, it doesn't work. And you're all and out of whack. You're all out of whack. And then you yeah. get so, so messed up that you just want to quit and walk off the course. I think, you, you know, when you get out there on the golf course, you just got to try to have the same swing every single time. I think the same thing in life. You can't try to change things day in and day out. Um, you make mid-course, uh, you know, corrections along the way, but th- yeah, that's just something I got to focus on is not not trying to tinker too much with, with whatever I'm doing. Yeah, be patient, right? Maybe focus on one thing until you can kind of really get good at that thing. Yeah, and then, exactly. I mean, it's a long life journey, right? Like we have a while and it's really you know, this, this false idea of, of we need to get somewhere, right? We're always trying to get somewhere and we always feel like we don't have enough. We're trying to achieve more, accomplish more when it really is. It's hard to find contentment that way. And so I think one thing for me, like you said, is it's finding patience in that, knowing I want to grow and having a vision for where I want to be, but not trying to get there right away. Because as soon as I get there, there's just going to be another goal or achievement I want to achieve. So it's like, how can I enjoy the process of getting better, of growing and not, you know, shaming myself or guilting myself if I do take a step back, but just right. enjoying the journey of life, right? Yeah. I think that's important too, is that, like you said, the patience, the patience part, because it happens all of a sudden over a long period of time. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think everybody struggles with patience and trying to, um, you know, compare yourself to other people or, or, hey, I'm 35 now. I think I should be at this level, but I'm at this level. Um, yeah, and I think it's just you gotta you gotta be patient. That's a great point. That's what I love. I love. Well, I think it was Warren Buffett said, and it's a great quote. It's it's don't compare your chapter one or two to somebody else's chapter thirty, mm-hmm. relating it to a book. You know, if someone else has been through and had the ten years of overnight success, it's because they learned and they grew and they showed up every day. And especially in our culture, like instant gratification. Now people see somebody's success on social media or something they're like. I want to go do that without feeling like they have to put in all the work and time to reach that kind of level. Yeah. Cause it is a grind. It's a grind. And that's what like the great people do. You don't see them working 10,000 hours behind the, behind the scenes. Um, And they just, yeah, their chapter 30 is, is, is not what you compare yourself to. And, and I think that's so easy to do now with social media and Instagram and Twitter and everything of, seeing what this person looks like. Well, I should be there too. Um, but that's, that's not the case. And they're probably um, saying the same thing about you. And every, I mean, it's just, 
the social media stuff is tough. Yeah, totally. Looking through like a lens of social media is just not a good way to go about anything, to be honest with you. No. Uh, let's talk about your journey. So you, you play with the, the Falcons for three years and then you, you go to the Steelers, correct? Falcons three, um, got cut by them. Mike Malarkey went from the offensive coordinator of the Falcons to the Jaguars and brought me down there with him. Okay, you were there for one year? There for one year where I got my four years in. So throughout the three years of Atlanta, I got one year um, of active duty with the Jaguars. And um, yeah, just one year got cut um, right after the season. Actually, it was the week of week before my wedding that I got cut and had a flap to Pittsburgh where I ended up there with Pittsburgh Steelers. How long did you play with Pittsburgh? Um, I was up there from like March to uh, right the week before the season. So I didn't... Oh, so I went, you were there was, just for an off-season? Just for the off-season, just for training camp. Okay, so talk about that that, that final year. Did you kind of see... Obviously, you got cut from the Falcons and you kind of became this journeyman. Did you come to a point where you're like, I just, I don't want to continue trying? Or did you, like when you kind of saw the writing on the wall with the Pittsburgh Steelers, because I know they drafted a guy when you went there too, right? Yeah, they drafted a guy in like the second or third round. So it didn't matter really. I was playing, I was playing great ball. Um, Probably some of my best football, but it, you know, with the business, hey, we're going to, we're going to draft this guy. We got to give him a chance. So yeah, I got cut right before the season and, um, my thought process was, well, okay, now I've got to sit out the whole season and then try to get on a team back in February or March and then go through this process again of trying to make, make a team. So that's a year-long um, commitment when I was 28 years old of trying to figure it out. So I got cut. I'm driving back to Atlanta where we had a place and um, I was like, man... I don't, you know, I'm not going to go to Canada. I'm not going to bounce around. If a team calls me the next couple months, obviously I'll go back. But, but what I started doing then was I was still working out. I was still ready to go if somebody called me, not expecting anybody to call me because, you know, once the season gets started, unless there's some injuries, it's, you're not getting picked up. What I did was I still, I still thought I was going to go back to Birmingham to work for this firm that, that I was talking about. But what I did was... Um, use the people, use the connections, use everybody I know to go. And I went and interviewed and talked and mirrored and shadowed, I don't know, probably six or 10 different folks with different industries trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Because mm. I wanted to make a commitment to what I was going to do and not ever look back and say, man, I wish I would have went into real estate. I wish I would have went into, um, you know, whatever. So I just went out and, and talked to anybody that would, that would go to lunch with me or let me see them for a day on um, finding the right fit for me and what I wanted to do in my next chapter of life. If somebody called me, I was ready. But once the season was over and once, you know, March was gone, I was, I was going to go full in to, to whatever else was next. Yeah, so you tried a bunch of different things. What you're saying, you did a shadow with real estate, with the financial advising and wealth management. And what else did you kind of get into? Anything else? Um, I went with a couple like real estate guys, commercial real estate guys, Insurance brokers, you know, big commercial insurance, local insurance, you know, home and auto stuff. Um, I and I didn't like go work with. I was just kind of like open minded to anything. Want to see if this would be something I was interested in. Um, Talk about the importance of leveraging, because as a former pro athlete, what I've noticed is you just tell someone you played pro ball. Um, it opens a lot of doors and. 
I think a lot of guys, they struggle with, you know, obviously you were kind of ready to, and you were preparing for a while, which is, it's a, I think, a very rare thing. And you wanted to find success outside of football uh, right away. And so you were kind of jumped right in. Talk about the importance of, of using your network, one, and then second, getting to like moving kind of pretty quickly and not kind of sitting around ruminating on, you know, regrets or what if, like I'm going to miss football, but kind of just getting the process started on trying to learn as much as you can so you can figure out like who yeah. you are and what your identity is outside of sports. So I think you hit on there, using your network and, and realizing that you have to create your own network and nobody's going to do anything for you. Nobody's going to go out of their way to say, hey, you should call my buddy about this. He's, he runs a great business and he owns it. He can definitely help you out. You've got to be active and connecting with those people. And then once you're connecting with them, staying in touch with them and following up with them. You know, it's so easy now with text messages or emails to stay in touch with somebody. It takes two seconds. Hey, man, just thinking about you. And then as the, you meet these people, and we have so many, when we're playing football, so many opportunities to meet business owners, executives, whatever, along the way. I mean, they're always around, but very few players you see go up and talking to the, to the business guy. I mean, he would love nothing more to talk to a football player. And especially when you get done to say, hey, you know, call my buddy and just to help you out. Um, because it is unique. There's not a lot of people that have our opportunity to go out and use what we've done in the past. But you, to me, you've got to be active in seeking those people out. Nobody's going to give you anything, especially when you, maybe, maybe when you're playing and you're active and you're out there on TV. But once you're done, it's like you got to go help yourself and you're the only person that can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's another reason it's a huge fall from grace. Because when you're playing, everybody loves you. Everybody's your best friend. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, you play. And then all of a sudden you're done. You do feel kind of like, like washed up goods at, at some point on some level. And as football players, we're always used to being told what to do. Mm. Meeting starts at 8. At 9 o'clock, we're going to eat breakfast. At 9.30 to 10 is open weight room. Go get a workout. Every part of our year is scheduled. So, so as there is no head coach and there's no general manager, you've got to become your own head coach and make a schedule because um, nobody's going to tell you what to do. Nobody's going to be there making it for you. You got to say, I've got to do this for myself and go seek out this person or try to connect with them. And um, two, you know, not, not be scared of, of, of talking to people. Just go out and, I mean, people, people love talking to football players. Just go, you just got to go do it. And, and the more you do it, the more you try, the easier it gets. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I think there's this concept, I think it's in Zen Buddhism, which is, is beginner's mind. And the concept is, we, we, you know, our cup is always empty. If we show up in life like we don't know it all, like there's always something to learn and we have a beginner's mind, then we show up with this humility of, I don't know it all, I'm here to learn. And there's so many people out there that can teach us. And especially we go, you know, it's really hard, I think, for a lot of athletes, especially football guys, because that's the community we're involved in. You know, they become such experts at football. Like, and it's hard even to talk to somebody about football because they don't understand on the level that we do. I and mean, we just been, you know, talk about the 10,000 hour rule. It's like 50,000 plus hours. Like we're the best in the world at this thing. And it's hard for us to show up and not know something. And it takes, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a hit to the ego to show up with this beginner mind. So talk about that. I think that's a huge thing that guy, if they, if you learn how to show up and I try to, I try to show up in every single conversation, even if I show up and I feel like this person has nothing to teach me, everybody has their own unique perception of reality and their own story. And so if you take a step back, everybody has an experience 
that you haven't experienced. And if you're open to learning from them, right. and I've felt this, like the universe will like guide you through and bring in the right connections. And the people that you don't think have much to offer actually will be like, Hey, I know a guy that, that does this or a guy that does this. And when you bring that positive energy of open-mindedness and learning, the world really opens up to you in a new way. And it's not as rigid, it's a lot more fluid. So talk about the importance of when you're out of football, kind of taking, you have to almost take a step back and continue and almost start over and learn this new skill and, and try to figure out who you are without this game. And so talk about your journey, trying to find that thing. I know you tried a bunch of different things, but then getting into wealth management, why did you choose yep. that? Well, I, I chose it because I, I, I kind of went to school as a financing school. Um, I love the relationship part of our business, you know, uh, being able to work and, and really um, positively affecting people's lives and generations. To me, that's, it's, um, we've got a cool opportunity to be able to, to work with, with a lot of different people. But to me, making the transition was, was about finding mentors, about finding people that I liked and that, and it, it wasn't immediate. Once I got in the business, it's like, okay, I like what this guy's doing. I don't like what that guy's doing. So I can do the opposite of him. But going and seeking out um, help and saying, hey, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years. What's made you so successful? Because the unique thing about going into after football, um, when you play football, you're either athletic or you're big and you're fast or you're not. There's really nothing you can, you can learn. You just got to go work your butt off. The thing about moving on that I learned was um, basically anything you've done, somebody's done it before. They've probably written a book about it. There's a lot of resources where you can go find it. And instead of working those 50,000 hours or taking uh, you know, 10,000 at-bats or hitting 50,000 balls on the golf range, it's, okay, I'm going to go learn from him and I can speed up that curve. It gets so much faster when you just, you're humble and you say, I don't know it. I'm going to go learn it and seek it out. To me, there's so many resources. Everybody's writing a book um, and everybody is eager to tell you. I mean, all you got to do is ask. And if they're not, then that's probably not the person you want to be around anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember a story when, when Tony Gonzalez, we both played with Tony Gonzalez and, and his last game, he wasn't a big rah-rah, get in front of the team speech guy. He was definitely a lead by example guy and he was one of the best to ever play the position at tight end. And I remember... The final game of his career, he stood up before the game and gave a little speech. And I don't remember all of the things he said, but one thing stood out. And he's like, one of the things that led to my all my success is reading books. And he said that if you want to learn something or do something, there's always somebody out there that's done it and achieved greatness at it. And so you can learn from them. I mean, we have so many mediums to go seek out this knowledge and this wisdom. So you don't have to make... Because we, we, we learn and grow through failure. And the faster we can fail, the faster we can learn and, ex- and learn from that experience, and then we can grow. And if we learn from other people's failures and mistakes, we don't have to make them. And so it does give you this exponential curve of being able to show up and reach where you want to go at a rapid rate. And you can do that in life after football. It's impossible to do being an athlete. There's mm-hmm. no shortcuts. There's no, um, you know, nobody else can help you or do it for you. You either go out there and you run the sprints and you're in shape and you work out and you're big and strong or you're not and you have to find something else to do. But, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe being a doctor or um, something like that where you've got to go in and put in the work. But there's most of the things that we're going to do after football, we can learn from other people. And and it's not just, it doesn't have to be laser focused on 
you know, whatever you're focused on. You can get pieces from all kind of different um, backgrounds and industries or, or leaders and, and people that are successful. Just have it be focused on one thing. I mean, you can be the greatest musician of all time and we can all learn something from how they got there. Yeah. Talk about when you first went into wealth management. What was like, what was the biggest like challenge like going in? I mean, it's such a completely different world. Was it like the relationships? Was it the actual knowledge of how the the money system and financial markets work? Like what was the biggest challenge going from football into this brand new world? Yeah. I mean, it was just starting, start from scratch, right? I went to school. I was a business major. So you get a little bit of knowledge from school, but um, you know, it's just, it was, it was starting back on ground zero, which I think we've got a different perception because you play football and you're at the peak pinnacle of your profession. Then whenever you do, you're going to have to start from the ground floor, whatever you do, unless you go into coaching, um, or you stay in football. I, I don't think of anything else you can do when you're, you're not starting, starting out at scratch, but it's no different from that kid that just graduated that's 22 that start from scratch. He's just 22 and he has no expectations that, uh, you know, it's going to take me a few years or whatever to be successful. We just kind of come in with the preconceived notion of if I'm not successful, I've got to move on. So it is, you know, eating that piece of humble pie and just mm. of going in and, um, and, and I don't know if it's our expectations or the outside world's expectations, but um, I think just handling those expectations that it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Talk about some of the the personal challenges with going from playing football. I know you were like mentally kind of ready. I think more more than most. Obviously, you prepared for it, and every, every year you played, it was just kind of. I mean, even when I played with you, you showed up with this like joy and love for the game, and just like kind of happy to be there because you knew you didn't have these expectations. So it was like I'm I'm here. I'm going to enjoy this experience. I'm going to get the most out of it. Um, but talk about some of the personal challenges with leaving football. And like, do you miss it? Is like. Is there things you miss about the game? And obviously, I know there probably is, but talk about that journey. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm like most people. The biggest thing I miss is being in the locker room, is the camaraderie that you have with other folks like you that we're still friends 10 years later. Um, and we've been through we've been through the same situation. So we, we've, even if I don't see or talk to you for, for five years from now and five years later, I think we would not miss a beat, right? We would be on the same page and have have a, just a common bond of being in a locker room together. So that to me is the biggest thing you miss is just um, is everybody rowing the boat towards one goal. And that's what football is. It doesn't matter where you're from, your background, who you are. It's like everybody's in this together where when you get out, it's kind of everybody is for themselves. And you got to... To me, it was, it was difficult making that transition of... of you know, having to really look out for yourself first and foremost, because that's what everybody else is doing. And at the end of the day, you know, most people are selfish and just being aware that, you know, like when we were going to the locker room, you leave your keys and your cell phone and your wallet laying in your locker. Like that's unheard of most places, but that's just the locker room environment. So it's realizing that everywhere is not like a football locker room and um, that's okay. It's okay that, that everything is not as sacred as that place. But um you know, we can do things like this and keep it going, but um, just transitioning your mindset of uh, it's, it's just it's a different it's a different life. It is. Yeah, you, you you're still doing the 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 broadcast. What is it? Broadcasting or play by play? Are you the color commentator for Alabama still? Yeah, I do the color on each and every game. I'm I'm doing the color commentating. 
Yeah. So talk about that journey and, and how excited you were to get back involved with the game in this way. And like, do you kind of, you know, for me, it was, there's a piece of me and I know our journeys are really different, but there was a piece of me that was kind of, kind of ran away from the game. And there's a lot of like a bad taste in my mouth. I feel like, you know, the injuries and the way I was treated and I had a really up and down career. And so, you know, I'm finally getting to a point now where I'm like, starting to, to, to really enjoy the game for the things I loved about it. And all that yeah. bad taste stuff is kind of, you know, getting in the background a little bit. So talk about your journey back into the game and, and how important it is as a former athlete to integrate that and, and, and stay involved if it's something you really want to do still. No, I, I, I was right there with you in like, not to the point where like, man, I don't want to work out anymore because I had somebody told me to do this every day of my life. Like I'm done, I'm moving on, didn't watch football on on Sundays because it's like, well, I got better things to do. But now, yeah, I'm I'm it's fun, you know? Like that's one of the things I don't think we realize as a player is how fun like going to a football game and tailgating and watching it and having friends over. I mean, it's it's a pretty, pretty cool deal. We just never got to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, you know, football or, or doing the commentating is a way for me to stay connected, especially in, in my state where college football is king. Um so it, it's it's uh, it's it's neat for me to be able to see it from a different perspective now of being in the radio booth. Which if you would have, uh, I would have lost the biggest bet of all time. If I said, well, when you get done playing in five years, you're going to be the radio host for the for the football games. Like you you've you lost your mind. Um, but you know, it just it kind of happened, and I was open minded to it. Said, let's give it a shot. Now I've been doing it for three years, and it's it's really fun because I do stay connected to the program. I stay connected to the players and the coaches, and the fans. And um, you know, I worked really hard at Alabama, so now I'm kind of getting to keep it going a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I wonder how fun that would be. I'd love to call games sometime. It's different, dude. It's different. Yeah. Um, Is it challenging at all? Well. It is and it isn't because for quarterback and much like a center where you've got to see the whole field, you got to know what's going on. Not just, not just your position where, you know, if you're a left tackle, I've got to know that this guy's, I got to block him or I'm the cornerback. I've got to cover this guy. Quarterback, you've got to see everything. So I just try to, my, my mindset going in the game is my wife doesn't know a ton about football. She loves watching it, but you know, has no idea what a strategy or anything. So I'm like, talking to my wife, teaching her about football when I go to a game. And that's, that's oh, kind of that's my great. mindset of, of, you know, not being, not trying to talk like I'm in advanced calculus, but, you know, basic math class where we're going to get through it together. And it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, you know, five hours of talking on Saturday is mentally exhausting because mm-hmm. um, you're always trying to think of something to say and what's going on. But luckily, football is so great that, you know, there's so much strategy and stuff you could talk about throughout the game. Is that just something that's just kind of for fun on the side? Or is there like a bigger vision that you want to kind of pursue with that kind of part of your career? No, I love, I love where I'm at. I've got no ambition and probably wouldn't even uh, take a further step from Alabama because it's very focused um, with my time. It's very focused with my schedule. And it allows me to to have my wealth management business and do this kind of on the side as a hobby. So, yeah. if, you know, you go work for a, a big network or something, you're going to be going around and, and traveling a lot. So I probably have to give up that job, which um, I'm not going to do. I've, I've worked really hard to build it up. And, and that's, that's my true passion in football. It's kind of a hobby. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, talking about your vision, I ask every guest on the show, um, you know, what's your vision 
for yourself individually? Like where you want to, where you want to go, how you see yourself in five, 10 years, the things you want to pursue and achieve. And then uh, what's your vision for the collective, for humanity? What would you like to see change in our society? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so my personal vision for five, 10 years, mm. Mm, I think, you know, I want to continue to grow my business, but I also don't want to lose sight on, um, you know, my family, my community personally, because I think you've got to be able to balance both. Um, my family is extremely important to me. It's been awesome, awesome, this COVID thing working from home because I've gotten to spend more time. I, I realized that, that I can do different things and use technology, use stuff to my advantage where, you know, 10 years ago that didn't happen. So I want to continue growing and getting better, but also realizing the things that are most important to me and not losing sight of that and not ever losing sight of that. Family, friends, um, my faith, fitness, and, and, and having fun and trying to mold all these different things together. And I think... Um, the three Fs, huh? Faith, fitness, and fun. I love that. Faith, family, fitness, finance, and fun. Oh, that's, the five Fs. There he is. Yeah, that's for me. So I've written it down and, and kind of adopted it. And it's all, they all join together. And that's what I want my life to be. And sure, I might kick something out or move something in down the road. But right now, I got to make sure those all work together. Mm. And if one's weak, then the other one, you know, then they're all not working um, the way they should be. I think for humanity, I think... Um, I think it's realizing where we always say, this is a crazy time. This is nuts. But I feel like every generation says that along the way. Mm. You know, it was something 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this is crazy. So I think it's, it's being aware that um, at the end of the day, I think relationships and, and being in touch with other people, to me, is the most important thing. I said it at my wedding. My wedding toast was, um, the most important thing in this life is relationships with my wife, with my kids, with my, with my friends and everything. Um, and I think we just lose sight of that sometimes. So, you know, it's, it's a crazy world, but, you know, we just want to treat people the right way. And I think everything else, take care of itself as, as basic as that sounds. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Um, let's talk a little bit. I know we're coming up on, you got a hard stop here soon, but um, share a little bit of advice for, you know, former athletes, uh, you know, specifically pro athletes, um, on when they, when they do start to transition out of sports, what are some, some things that you would share with them to, to help them through that process? Because it is a, it is a challenge. It comes with a lot of unique challenges. Uh, so what are a couple of things that you would share with, uh, those guys? I would say lower your expectations. You're not going to be, you're not going to be the, an all pro overnight. Um, and, have, you know, have no expectations of, of going out there. Um, well, I, I think going and working for yourself and owning that and saying, I, I've got to go, I've got no head coach anymore. I'm now the boss. I'm now the CEO of my own destiny and you got to go control it. Seek out other people that are successful or that you want to model yourself after and just model your own life after it. Uh, take good things from every person. Like you said, you can learn something from everybody. and make it your own, make it unique, but have, have goals and have a purpose for everything you do. Because if you, don't, if you don't write down your goals, if you don't write down what you want, your wants and desires, I think it's easy to just to wonder and to say, well, I'm going to find my purpose or find it. I think you got to go find it. You got to go seek mm -hmm. it out. You got to be 
intentional about your thoughts and your actions because it's not, I don't think it just comes to you. I think you got to go get it. You got to go take it and find that out. And don't be scared. Um, don't be scared of no. Don't be scared of failure. Don't be scared of, of not living up to what other people think you should be. It's just going and it, it's going to be tough because it's new. Whatever we're doing is new. And just, um, you know, take what made you successful in football and just adapt it to whatever you're doing because you're successful for a reason. Just adapt it to something new. Yeah. Really quickly, too. I know, I don't, I know you're not supposed to share specific financial advice, but I know a lot of guys leaving the NFL struggle with that kind of realm. And since you're in it, maybe some general advice for guys when it comes to taking care of their money. Yeah, I think it's tough. I think um, finding somebody that you trust that can help you out, um, that can help bounce ideas off. But at the end of the day, you've got to take ownership of your own stuff. You've got to be able to budget. You've got to be able to know where your money's going because you are now the CEO and the CFO of your new business. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Hire good people. Hire a good accountant. Uh, find people that that you trust, but always check up on them. Always have checks and balance to everything you're doing because um, it is it's ever changing. And you've worked hard for your money. You got to work hard to keep it. Each and every day, you've got to have somebody uh, that's helping you stay on task. Um, whether it's your spouse, whether it's an advisor, whether it's somebody of, of knowing that you've, you've earned it, you've worked hard to get it. Now you got to work just as hard to keep it. And mm-hmm. it's in, and you're, we're unique as players where we earn a lot of money when you were young. Most everybody else earns their money when they're 50 and 60. So we've got unique advantages that most people don't have. So you got to take advantage of that, but also work really, really hard to keep it because it's, um, it's fleeting and, and it could be, um, it can lead to a lot of problems, but it can also lead to a lot of successes. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, really quickly, I'll give you a chance to plug anything you want to plug, where people can find you. If there's anything you're working on that you want to share about, go ahead and share it. I know you're not big on the personal brand stuff. You don't, you know. No, no, I am. So, um, I mean, my Twitter is JP Wilson 14. I'm not as active as I probably should be on that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn if you want to look me up there, but, um, you know, I'm really excited about what you got going on with the heart collective. I'm really excited about that. Um, that's probably my biggest thing right now that I would plug is, is check that out. Cause it's, we talked about the locker room and what you're missing out with that. I think this is a big opportunity to pick that up. Thanks brother. Man, I asked you to plug yourself and you plugged me. You're the I'm, freaking man. I'm here with you, brother. I, I really am though, because, because I think if you ask 99 or hundred football players, most are going to say, Man, I miss the locker room. I miss my dudes. I miss my guys. Because um, it's, it's hard to replicate that. I think this is a pretty Absolutely. cool chance to do that. Thanks, brother. I know you have a hard stop, and I feel like we could talk for longer. Maybe I'll bring you on. Um, I'm here. Later on, we can do a whole nother, whole nother conversation. I'm here. Let's do it. All right, brother. Really appreciate it. Love you, man. I right, love you, too. Bye. Later. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with John Parker Wilson. I know we had to kind of end it really quickly there. I tried to get a lot more out of him in a short time, um, but I'll definitely have him on again at some point to just talk ball. We have amazing conversations all the time. Um, so if you're interested in that, just let me know. Reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly and let me know if you'd like that episode and if you want some more of John Parker Wilson. 
uh, at the end of the episode, I asked him to plug himself and he plugged me. And so I'll plug myself again. He was talking about the Heart Collective. That's H-A-R-T Collective. You can find out more about that community at theheartcollective.com. Uh, he actually joined the community, which I'm really stoked about having him uh, supporting me on my journey and supporting the community. Uh, we are growing every day. More athletes realizing that the one thing they are missing in their lives is a community. And, you know, it's not about seeking help or feeling broken. It's just about being back in a locker room atmosphere around surrounding yourself around high achieving individuals who are reaching for their highest potential outside of sports. You know, to be an athlete, especially at the professional level, and this is for all sports, all major sports. Um, it's not just NFL, it's NHL, NBA, MLB. If you're a former pro athlete, you know what it's like to overcome doubt, self-limiting beliefs, uh, fear to continue to grow, overcome failure. And all of these are intangibles that we learn in sports that if we can apply to our everyday lives, we can achieve so much success and greatness outside of sport. You know, I always like to say in football, I always felt like there was kind of a ceiling, right? I reached the pinnacle, but there was only so far I could go. Now that I'm in the real world, there is no ceiling. The only ceiling I have is the one I put on myself. Literally, I believe anything is possible. And the only way to reach for our highest potential is if we surround ourselves with the right kind of people. Everybody in the community so far is adding so much value. They're all focused on reaching for their highest potential and supporting one another. Um, you know, connecting with other entrepreneurs. If you're in the entrepreneurial world, um, it's a community to connect, collaborate, and educate yourself, learn, bring on thought leaders every month, um, whether it's health and wellness, spirituality. We're going to get into psychedelic plant medicines and the benefit of that. But we're going to be running retreats. I got my first retreat locked down in September and members only. So if you're interested in that community, I could talk about it all day. I'll probably do a whole solo cast on it. But yeah, if you're interested, if you're a former male professional athlete, reach out to me directly or go apply on the website. Peace.